0: Hello friend, I'm John Carter. Welcome today to the Carter Report. Our topic today is faith and science. Can you believe both? My special guest is from Reasons to Believe, Dr. Faz Rana. Welcome today to the Carter Report. I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in Communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia.
1: John Carter brings together faith
0: and science. With us today is Dr. Rana, who comes to us from that great Christian organization, scientific organization, Reasons to Believe. They believe that faith and science are compatible. Would you believe it? Uh, Dr. Rana, welcome today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's uh, it's wonderful to have you with us. Our time that we've spent with the people from Reasons to Believe has been some of the best experiences we've ever, ever enjoyed. Um, You people believe that faith and science are compatible.
1: That's right. And it all is based on what Scripture teaches us because uh, the Bible tells us that God has revealed Himself to us Mm. through the record of nature. And if science is the study of nature... If it's the study of creation, then we would expect to see pointers to our creator uh, in in scientific discovery.
0: Now, you know all about Richard Dawkins, don't you? Yeah. He's the great British guy from Oxford University uh, who is a great scientist and a great atheist. Uh, he wrote the book, The God Delusion, and also the book, um, The Blind... Watchmaker. Have I got it right? The blind watchmaker. That's right. And he says that everything that appears was made by, not just by the watchmaker, but by the blind watchmaker. So everything that we see is the product of time plus matter plus chance. Have I got it right? That's right. Okay. Here's a question, Doctor. You're a Christian and a biochemist. So you're a scientist. Is faith and science compatible? But Dawkins says, no, the blind watchmaker.
1: Well, uh, faith and science are compatible, and it's not just me who says that. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a Christian and a mm-hmm. scientist, I'm, I'm not an oddity, may, at least not an oddity, because I, <laughs> I believe in science and, yeah. and the Christian faith. At least that's faith.
0: not the reason.
1: That's right. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's interesting. There was a Pew survey published a few years ago now that showed over 30% of scientists in the United States believe in a personal God, believe in a a creator. How many?
0: What's the percentage? Over over 30%. 30%, 30%, About a third. Yeah. And so
1: that's saying something rather significant. Yes, it is. That you can be a person of science and a person of faith, uh, and that your life can harmonize around those two ideas.
0: Dawkins, and you know, he is a quite an aggressive atheist. You've heard him, I've heard him in his debates with Professor John Lennox. Uh, He makes some very, very powerful assertions and he mocks those people who've got faith. He says, you know, you've got faith, I've got science. But if you ask him the question, do you believe in all of these things that you do? He says, yes, I believe them. (laughs) So that means he's really... A very religious man. Yes. Would you say that?
1: I would. I mean, at the end of the day, we all have faith, regardless of our worldview. Faith in something. It's faith in something. And so if you are a Christian, then you have faith that a Creator exists mm. and is responsible for the world that we see. If you are an atheist, you have faith that mechanism, that blind, unguided mechanism somehow explains the universe, and life within the universe. And so everybody has faith. It's just a yes. question, whose faith is best supported by the evidence at hand?
0: Ah, say that again. Whose faith is best supported by the evidence at hand? So you believe in a faith that is supported by evidence?
1: Yes, I do.
0: Did you get this? Faith supported... Say it again.
1: Faith supported by the evidence at hand. You know, and, and to me... You know, um, the the biblical view of faith is not just blindly believing that, that God exists. Well, or, some
0: people think it is, though.
1: Yes, but that's not the biblical concept of faith. The biblical concept of faith is that there are reasons that undergird the leap of faith that we take, that faith is an act of trust, but we trust because we have reasons to believe, we have reasons to, to think that, placing our faith in Christ or in God's existence mm-hmm. has, has merit. Uh,
0: Doctor, I was uh, watching a television program, a big religious program, and I showed a huge gathering here in a big church, a super church in North America. And uh, the question was postulated, uh, why we believe in the resurrection of Christ? And they asked this charismatic uh, young American pastor, why do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? And he got up and he went to the microphone and to thunderous applause, he made the statement, I believe in the resurrection of Christ because of my faith. Everybody, well, you know. I thought, pardon my saying, I thought that was about the most inappropriate answer a person could ever give. Yeah. Yeah. Because I believe in the resurrection of Christ, not because of blind faith, I believe in the resurrection of Christ because it happened. Yeah. And I believe that there is evidence that it happened. Right. Uh, you know, hundreds of eyewitnesses. Yeah. And some of them wrote it down. Uh, the Evidence as strong as is, as is used in any court today. Uh, eyewitness evidence. Also, um, other evidence. What happened to the body? Uh, here was the body. Um, what happened to the body? Yes. Um, the only solution to that question is that the body got resurrected and came out of the grave. And you you know many of these arguments. Yes. But with you, and I say to the television audience today, we do not believe in faith in faith. We don't believe in blind faith. We believe in a faith that is based upon hard scientific
1: fact. That's right. And the bottom line is that the scientific evidence shows us that the universe had a beginning. And this is exactly what we see in Genesis 1-1. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, we see design in the universe. No, but
0: tell me the scientific evidence for a beginning.
1: Well, for, for example, there's something call, called the cosmic background radiation. Yes. And that radiation is the leftover radiation from the beginning of the universe, from yes. the event that brought the universe into existence. And so that would be just one example. In fact, there's even ripples in that radiation <laughs> that that are exactly what you would predict if indeed the universe had a beginning. So that would be an example of some of the hard evidence that indicates the universe had a beginning. Well, if it had a beginning, there must be something outside the universe. There must be a beginner. That caused it, exactly. Or when we look at the universe, we see design. Or when we look in biological systems, we see design. Design comes from a designer. And so these are are just... That's
0: reasonable, isn't it?
1: Yes, these are just two broad categories of evidences that we could use to say that a creator is real. Is
0: it not true that for many, many, many years the great scientists in the world did not believe in a beginning of the universe but that in fact they believed in the steady state. That's right. What was the steady state theory?
1: It, it was the idea that the, the universe was eternal, mm-hmm. that it was infinite in extent. Yeah. Yeah, and and that it had all it's a brute reality, it always had been here. And, and
0: Einstein once even believed this because yeah, he, yes. he reflected the thinking of, of of virtually all of the scientists.
1: And and interestingly enough, Einstein's theory of general relativity indicated that the universe must have a beginning. But he
0: couldn't believe it. He couldn't
1: believe it, so he put in a fudge factor into his equations <laughs> yeah. to prevent the universe from having a beginning. That, 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 and he a, called it his greatest blunder as a yeah. scientist because Edwin Hubble showed clearly that the yes. universe was expanding from a, from a beginning.
0: Yes. And so, for many, many years, the world's great scientists, including Albert Einstein, believed in the steady-state theory that the universe had always existed. yep yeah. And yet there was an an annoying little text over here in Genesis that said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why are we certain? What is some of the scientific evidence to support the idea that is called today by every scientist, they call it the Big Bang? Now, some Christians are turned off by the terminology, the Big Bang, but they don't need to be worried about that. When scientists talk about the Big Bang, they're talking about a a time when there was nothing and all of a sudden there was everything. Give me some more of the evidence for the Big Bang, for the point of cosmic creation that we believe today.
1: Well, the classic evidence is that the universe is expanding and that the further an object is away Mm -hmm. from us, the faster it's expanding. And Tell me
0: more about this.
1: So and, and so, well, the idea is that, if think of the universe mm. as if it was like a grenade exploding. Yes. If a grenade explodes, if you mm. stop that explosion at a point in time, you would see that the, the shrapnel is at different distances from the, the point of the explosion. Well, the shrapnel that's the furthest away is, is flying at a faster rate than the shrapnel that's closer to the point of the explosion. Yeah. And this is exactly what the universe looks like. The objects that are further away are accelerating away from us faster and faster. The objects that are closer are, are moving at a slower rate. And so when you run it all, the universe backward in time, you wind up with this b- point, this beginning, that suggests the universe wasn't infinite and eternal, but it recently came into existence. Uh, and so this is, uh, again, shocking. When this was discovered, this was shocking yes. to the, the mm. scientific community. Mm.
0: They said they were afraid of it because of the theological implications. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, that almost sounded a little bit like religious prejudice. Yes. We can't accept this scientific idea because it's against our preconceived ideas. All right, the universe had a beginning. That is a fact. We know when it took place. And we, can, we have a ton of evidence to believe it. This is not faith. We have a ton of evidence to believe it. It is scientific. The universe had a beginning. Genesis 1, 1, one is absolutely true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. Dawkins says, doctor, that you can't believe in God today because of recent t- scientific discoveries.
1: To me, I would say that uh, recent scientific discoveries make disbelief in God impossible, not uh, make belief in God impossible. So to me, the, the scientific evidence screams that there must be a, a creator, uh, and to me, the, I think the the most compelling evidence, and I'm biased, of course, because I'm a biochemist, comes mm. from the arena of biochemistry. Yes. You know, the, the molecules that make up living systems, the molecules that are found inside the cell, those systems, to me, just scream design, scream the handiwork of a creator.
0: I want you to talk to me about this because, you know, I've, I've read some of your books, and I've been blessed by your books, and I... I greatly appreciate the work of reasons to believe because they're, they're bringing forth scientific evidence so that a thinking, honest person can believe in God. Uh, you folks don't say to people, we want you to take the existential leap of faith and just believe. You say now, here we've got the real, here we've got the evidence.
1: Yeah.
0: Tell me some of the evidence from the world of biochemistry from the world of biology to, you know, I, I don't know anything about this and I think some of the folks who are watching the program won't know much about it either uh, right now, but they're going to know a lot about it after listening yeah, to you. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the world of the cell and all of this stuff.
1: Well I mean, you know, the, the one way to think about the cell is yeah. like it's, it's, a, it's like a very large city where there's all kinds of activities taking place inside the cell. How big is a cell? Well, um, it depends on the type of cell that you're looking at. Um, The smallest cells would be on the order of about one micron. That would be about one millionth of a meter. Uh, And uh, some larger cells would be on the order of uh, 100 microns or so.
0: So you can't see them with the naked eye? No,
1: no. You have to have a, a microscope to see them.
0: And you've seen them tons of times.
1: Yes, I have. But to me, it's... It's not the cell itself that's interesting, it's all the stuff going on inside the cell.
0: So you've got this tiny itsy bitsy little thing that you can't see with your eye, but each cell is like a little city or a big
1: city? It's like a a, a massive city, like the city of Los Angeles. There's all Uh. kinds of activity going on, even in the simplest cell. it's, it's, It's staggering, it's almost impossible to fully grasp, even as a biochemist. Does
0: Dawkins that, know how complex the cell is?
1: Yeah, of course he does. He, he knows that full well. Hmm. But it's not just simply that the cell is complex. It's the the nature of the complexity hmm. that, to me, is mind-boggling. You know, it, it's, it's, um, there's an elegance, there's a sophistication to it, but there's also an eeriness to that complexity in that when we look at the cell, we see systems that look just like the types of systems that we would build as designers. Mm. You know, every city needs energy to to run its operations. Well, Mm. the cell is no different. And in fact, it has these little power plants called mitochondria that are producing energy for the cell. And integral to that energy production... Are they really
0: little powerhouses? They literally
1: are powerhouses. They really are? Yes. And you've seen them? I've seen them, and, and I've studied them. You know, and what, one of the one of the protein complexes that's in this powerhouse is called ATP synthase. That's a, a mouthful, but it's literally an electrically-powered rotary motor where there, there's an electrical current that flows through a motor component that's embedded in a membrane, and as that positively-charged proton makes its way through the channel, it rotates that motor, and as it rotates, it causes a rotor to rotate that's extending from the surface of the motor. Can this be seen? Yes, and people have produced animations of this. It's amazing. It's literally a machine. And there's a cam at a right angle. There's a turbine, and that cam hits the turbine, and it causes this mechanical movement that then that energy is used to form a compound called ATP that is like the gasoline inside the cell. But this is an electrically-powered rotary motor that operates at almost a hundred percent efficiency it's a frictionless motor and in fact there are scientists It's who, better
0: than a tesla
1: it's much better than a tesla <laughs> but it, it is it is one of the most remarkable protein complexes in nature but here at the at the powerhouse you have this in in effect this electrically powered turbine that is generating the energy that the cell uses and it's just and this is just an eight, one example.
0: But this happened by itself. This, this well... It, it, it happened, uh, Doctor... Uh, We've got to be scientific now. Doctor Dawkins would tell me uh, it was made by a blind watchmaker. And the, nobody knows where the watchmaker came from, but somehow a watchmaker came along and, and all of this, it, it just happened. It was a, it was a product of, of time plus matter plus
1: chance. But, I mean, think of it this way, if you opened up the hood of your automobile engine, would you say a blind watchmaker produced that engine, Mm -mm. or would you say that there there was a mind that conceived that design and then took deliberate steps to implement that design? And when you see the same thing in the cell, Mm. the, the, the natural inclination would be that this is really the product of a mind. To say that this is a blind watchmaker, to me, is where the leap of faith is coming in. It's... Yeah. Now, something else that… Sir so,
0: so, so Richard Dawkins is really a, a very religious man. Yeah. He has a tremendous lot of faith. He does. And he's got a big cult following. He does. And they have a church they call the Church of the First Atheists. Yes. This is true, isn't it?
1: It is. And it's I'm not true. trying
0: to be funny, but this is absolutely it, true. It is true. Atheists say… We've got facts. We believe in science. No, no, no. You believe in faith. Tell me more about this, this tiny little thing, this cell thing.
1: Now, something that keeps me awake at night in a good way yeah. is, is the, the, the fact that DNA, which is the set of instructions mm. in the cell that, that actually tells the cell how to make all these different protein machines that we're talking about, mm. is, it contains digital information. The information in DNA is digitized,
0: Tell me about DNA.
1: DNA is, the, the, the like I said, the set of instructions inside the cell. It's What's a molecule, it stand for? Uh, deoxyribonucleic acid. Okay,
0: I'll remember that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but it's, it's essentially, yeah. uh, you, you can think of it as just a string of digital data.
0: And it's tiny.
1: In its, oh, it's extremely tiny. Uh, but You can't a, see
0: any of this stuff. No,
1: but there's massive amounts of it too <laughs> inside and it's, the cell. It's
0: inside the cell yes. that is so tiny that you can't see the
1: cell. Right. But what's interesting is that there are these protein machines that manipulate DNA and people have recognized recently that those machines that are manipulating that digital information are literally operating like a computer system. It's literally a computer system that is taking place inside the cell.
0: Um, It's incredible, all of this, isn't it?
1: In fact, the the way the cell manipulates DNA is so much like a computer that it's given birth to a whole new area of nanotechnology called DNA computing.
0: That's to copy it.
1: Yes, where scientists are literally building computers in the lab now using DNA and the the protein machines that manipulate DNA, and they're held in these little tiny test tubes that are that big and they're more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer system we've ever built as a human being.
0: I, I, I find this almost incomprehensible. You're saying they're building tiny little computers today? Yes. Replicating the DNA in a cell. Yep. And these tiny things are more powerful than yes my iPhone. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes. And so, so to me, it. You know, back to this idea, if you saw an iPhone in the beach, you know, sitting on the, sh- on the ground, yeah, yeah. what would you conclude? That that was, that was... It, it just
0: happened by itself. That, Nobody made it. That's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, of course, we would conclude... Of course. ...that this is the, the product of, of a mind. Yes. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, cell phones are computers.
0: Of course they are.
1: You know, and, and you could argue a computer is the, the pinnacle of our engineering uh, now, accomplishment. Now, now this
0: is new to me. Tell me about how they're building these tiny, tiny powerful computers.
1: Well, I mean, they're basically throwing the DNA into a test tube along with the proteins and by playing around with the the digital data in the DNA Mm. and by adding the right proteins at the right time they can carry out very complex computer operations. And
0: these are a tiny, tiny, tiny. How tiny are these computers?
1: Well, I mean, these are essentially at the molecular scale. But, I mean, in the lab, the best you can do is manipulate them in a little tube like this. But even, in a sense, in that little test tube, there are millions and millions and millions of, of DNA computers all working simultaneously, or operating systems all working simultaneously inside that, that test tube to carry out these complex operations. Now,
0: my television audience is, is going to say this. I hope, I hope you're going to say this. If everything you're telling us today is true, and I've got no doubt that it is true, why are there atheists? Why is Richard Dawkins an atheist? How does he handle this information? Why does he say it was caused by a blind watchmaker?
1: And I I say this with with hopefully some measure of caution and, and, and respect, but I don't think people are atheists because of the lack of evidence for God's existence. and
0: so then again, you don't think they're atheists. atheists because of the lack of evidence. Yeah.
1: I think at the end of the day, it boils down to they simply don't want God to exist. And appealing to evolution and the blind watchmaker yeah. is yeah. just a convenient way to sidestep the reality of, of a creator. And,
0: and, and it could it possibly be true that some atheists have been terribly treated by so-called Christians. Uh, Children have been abused by members of a a religious order. And these people have got so much pain and hurt and maybe hate in their hearts. And they direct this towards towards the God of the Bible. And therefore they become abusive of that God. But is it not true, doctor? that people who've done these horrendous acts in history, in the Inquisition, and the pedophiles, they're the very, very, very opposite of Christ.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, people can, can carry out horrific acts uh, in the name of... Yes, and, of the Christian faith the priests
0: in the inquisition
1: but it doesn't mean that they're actually they're operating in a way that would be pleasing to christ no, or that they're no, following no. genuinely following the teachings yeah, of christ yeah, yeah and so i think we have to separate christ from christians
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> you know yes. because
1: at the end of the day christians are human beings and we all sadly we all hurt one another yes even with the best of intentions but some do
0: it much more effectively than others some this is have, true. some have done things that are uh, a part of the Antichrist system, yeah. and the system of pedophilia that has existed in some churches
1: yeah.
0: is yeah. is indeed something which is evil it 's satanic yes. yes, and atheists have got to realize that this has got nothing to do with Christ at all. Let me ask you this: I can see you are a strong Christian, obviously, you were brought up in a christian home
1: no i wasn 't actually. Uh, in fact, um, the, the my father was a nuclear physicist, a college professor. My mom was a, a science and math teacher in Goodness. high school and junior high. So I lived in a house where science was part of our day-to-day lives. And my, my mom was a non-practicing Catholic. My father was a Muslim. And so we all... I was grew he up, practicing? Yes, he was very devout. Yeah. And so I grew up in a home where... The, our view of Christianity was actually ra- rather negative, and so i didn 't have any kind of Christian influence or any orientation towards christianity and By the time I went to college, I was an agnostic i didn 't know if God existed or not. and I probably in college would have cheered Dawkins on, believe it or not. I would uh-huh. have said the origin of life, the design of life, it all can be explained by the blind watchmaker of evolution, but it was in graduate school. When I really came face-to-face with the complexity of biochemical systems that I recognized there had to be a mind behind this. There had to be a mind that was responsible for life.
0: We're talking today to Dr. Fuzz Rana from Reasons to Believe. And we've got tons and tons of amazing scientific evidence to share with you next time.
1: I'm John Carter, and I'll be back.
0: Hello friend, I'm John Carter. Behind me is the great city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Did you know, this is quite amazing, there are more people living in this area than in New York City, and Christ died for these people. We came here, oh, a long time ago, back in 1984. What's that, 34, 35 years ago? And we came here with a team of young people, and we came to the P.I.C.C. It is our intent to come here, hire the biggest hall that's available, the greatest outdoor stadium, whatever it takes. You've got more than 20 million souls out here. And I say it again, these are people for whom Christ died. I'm asking you to pray for the people of the Philippines. Please pray for the people here in Metro Manila, And please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at Terrigal at the address that is now showing on the screen. We're back in Manila, and we're back with a message from God. That message is, Christ died for you, and Christ is coming again soon. Please support us. Write to me today, Post Office Box, 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, and also write to me at Terry in Australia. Thank you for your support, and God bless you.